Good morning, everyone. So glad that you are able to visit with us and be greeted so fully by the Holy Spirit this morning. It's an amazing thing to have the power of the Spirit just moving on us before we're even aware that he's there. It was a very, very powerful and very pleasant experience. I really believe that the Lord opened this morning with the Holy Spirit because he's the forerunner. He's the one that makes us, makes a way for us to hear and receive what he's doing and who he is. So we began on a journey to understand and to apply in such a way as to create in our midst a good and beautiful community. And over the weeks, it's been an exciting journey. We've discovered that we're a peculiar people who are hopeful, serving, and a Christ-centered people. We're also reminded last week that we are reconciled people who have been forgiven much, who, have, who are learning and have uh, much to learn about forgiving in the same measure in which we have received. So every Sunday since we began, God has moved in powerful ways, such as this morning. He's been our teacher, he's been our counselor, he's been the giver of hope, and he's been a servant for all of us. And last weekend, uh, weekend we saw him as the Minister of Reconciliation. Was that a challenge? All we have to do is forgive in the same way that he has forgiven us. Today he's drawing us into becoming the, his encouraging community as he calls us to be church not to do church. A new church in South Africa desired to express community in a new way. Their goal was not to simply build a big church, but rather they wanted to be church for one another. They chose a verse from 2 Corinthians as their guiding biblical metaphor. In the passage, Paul speaks about the body as jars of clay with Christ its treasure. We read in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. They also chose to create a visual reminder of the theme of their church. I asked Martha and the intercessory prayer team to reenact the journey, which they have done over the past few weeks. They selected a clay pot, and as a group, they broke it giving each member one or two shards to write upon. After praying, each wrote passages or messages on their pieces. The following week, they brought them back, and they reassembled the broken jar of clay. Martha, would you come forward and complete your preparations for us this morning? So just as Martha's doing now, they put a candle in the pot, and then they lit it. Thank you, Martha. This clay jar represents the body of Christ. It's broken but holy, holy but broken. The light inside a reconstructed clay jar escapes between the cracks. Through the brokenness and the imperfections of the pot, the light shines 
for everyone to see. This pot is symbolic of Jesus' light emanating through the cracks of our broken lives. Without brokenness, the light of the world would not shine through the clay jar. But in its broken state, the light illuminates the darkness for everyone to see his light, his hope, and his glory. One could say that the light from the broken clay jar bids others to come and see beauty out of brokenness or beauty for ashes. I'd like to take us back to 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7 in reading the full text. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made the light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that the great power is from God and not ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, we are so astonished at your wisdom and in your ways. You take our broken clay pots, such as we are, and you use them and all of our brokenness to shine the light in a lost world. You remind us daily that we are broken but holy because of you. Help us to be your living word. Thank you, Lord, for not snuffing out our smoldering wick. Instead, you fanned it into flame, a flame burning for you. Thank you that you are the light that shines through us for the world to see. You are the light of the world, their living hope. Amen. So this story and its broken clay jar is one of commitment and accountability for the South African church and for the church today. The challenge facing the church today is how to shift from doing church to being church. A people being transformed into Christ-likeness, committed to being church for one another, engaging in the practices of admonishing and encouraging one another along the way of that transformation. The people of the Clay Pot Church of South Africa end each year with a time of searching the heart of God, trying to discern what God is calling them to do in the upcoming season. If they are led to return to the church for another year, they take another clay pot and they break that and reassemble it because they are broken but holy, holy but broken. The results are that the members make an annual commitment to be church with one another to be church for one another, and to be church accountable to one another. The false narrative of most churches today is that the church must serve my needs. Some would say it this way, the church just isn't meeting my needs. The true narrative is the community shapes our lives, and it results in a good and beautiful community. Not one made up of merely comfortable Christians, but one made up and built on a committed relationship with Christ like men and women growing in God and in one another. The crackpot on the table represents us, a bunch of crackpots. God's people, broken but holy. 
But it also represents Christ, the one whose body was broken, whose blood was shed, the one whose light emanates this room that shines the light of his presence. It's the same light which pierces the darkness. How does he do that? Through his own broken, crucified body. And through his body, the church, his beloved church. And herein lies the hope for the lost. If Christ's light can shine through brokenness, then surely his light can shine into my lost and my brokenness to set me free. It's utterly humbling to realize this truth, that God can use us despite of our brokenness. For our brokenness in his hand is transformed into a beacon of light and hope, an invitation for others to see and to know the Savior for themselves. It is not us shining. It's not a light of our own making. Rather, it is he, the light of the world, who draws the lost to his light that's available because he healed our brokenness and his light shines through us. For this we are humbled and for this we rejoice that our lives could be used for his glory. Through this truth we are clothed in humility and another stake has been driven into the heart of our pride and our self-centered thinking. Yes, we are the people of God who are broken but holy, holy but broken. So what would it take for our community to become a good and beautiful community? Two elements are important for this discussion. If we desire to be church for one another, that is, a church being the living and growing organism, the living Christ, for the benefit of his body and for one another, we must engage in a commitment narrative of admonishment and encouragement. The result being that the community reminds me constantly of who I am in Christ and watches over me with love and with comfort and encouragement and warning that I might live worthy of my calling, that I might stay the course. The principles of admonishment and encouragement go hand in hand with unconditional love and acceptance. As to love, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13.1, If I speak with tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That results in chaos, disruption, disorder. Surely surely that is not a good foundation for building a Christ-like community of believers. Romans 12.9, Paul says it this way. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. So love practiced together with unconditional acceptance is the essential building blocks for building a good and beautiful community. The church has come to realize that without love and unconditional acceptance, a wounded or a lost person will never have ears to hear or a heart to receive what we have to offer, even if it's the love of Christ. The truth is, but for Christ, there go I. I'm lost, broken, dysfunctional, angry, rejected, filled with hatred and pain. Yet in the fullness of time, Jesus came and he loved, accepted, he forgave. 
He gives us a new life and a new beginning by loving as we are, loving us as we are. But isn't that your story? Isn't that the core of what the gospel is? To go and tell the good news that Christ loves and he's made a way for a new beginning in us? So a Christ-like community, the church, would reflect his love and his acceptance and his commitment to encourage and admonish us into his likeness. How do we live out that encouraging community? An encouraging community is one that's motivated and tempered by his love, his mercy, and his compassion, and his commitment. Further, it's clothed in humility as we speak God's word to one another, reminding one another that we are the one in whom Christ dwells and delights. We applaud and we rejoice in the successes of one another as we also challenge one another to excellence, being careful not to snuff out the smoldering reed in our sister or our brother, for in it is the hope of the restoration of the flame for God in their soul. Rather, we encourage and we fan into flame the gifts that are within them as we walk with them along the way of Christ. Matthew 12:20 says it this way, A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not stuff out till he has brought forth justice to victory. And Hebrews 10:24-25 in the Amplified reflects these two concepts at work in the body. And let us consider and give attentive, continuous care to watching over one another, studying how we can stir up, stimulate, and incite to love and helpful deeds and noble activities, not forsaking nor neglecting to assemble together as believers, as is the habit of some people, but admonishing, warning, urging, and encouraging one another and all the more faithfully as we see the day approaching. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, it very succinctly puts it this way, And we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient to them all. The Old Testament prophet Ezekiel speaks to the consequences of refusing to take a warning. Ezekiel 33, 4 through 6, since they heard the sound of the trumpet and did not heed its warning, their blood will be on their own heads. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. As an example of Paul's loving warnings in the New Testament, we hear him say in 1 Corinthians 4, 13, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. To admonish carries the idea of warning, challenging, or guiding one another from danger or perilous behavior. Those ways or the ideas that carry us to turning around and getting back on track with God so that we are capable of being, as we are capable of being, a child of God. Admonishment and encouragement involves accountability in the context of an engaged community where we hold one another to a higher version as we become known and know one another. God places us in caring communities, as we saw this morning, so that we would not be alone, 
And he would encourage, as he did this morning, and we would warn one another as we are being transformed into his likeness. Jesus encouraged and admonished and challenged his believers throughout their three years of ministry together. For example, in Mark 8:28, he, Jesus, continued by questioning them. But who would you say that I am? Peter answered and he said, Thou art the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about him. Jesus admonished his fellow uh, followers to protect them and also to protect his mission. His disciples knew that he loved them and he warned them for their good and that they might rise up to a greater strength and a greater commitment. Jesus demonstrated healthy and powerful encouragement in and among his followers. After all, Jesus and his disciples really were the first church. Christ is the head, his disciples the body. At his death and resurrection, the disciples continued to build the church. And as the body of Christ, using the same tools of encouragement and admonishment and commitment that Jesus demonstrated in his preparation of them. So commitment is a key in community. And the disciples knew Jesus was committed to them. And they to him. Oh, that is all except for one were honest, they were true, and they were committed. An example of his commitment to his disciples, Jesus warned and admonished that one on the night that he was betrayed. Yet Judas had gone too far away from Jesus and too far away from the body of the brethren, of which he had been a part. So even with Jesus warning Judas, Judas would not turn back. We return to Ezekiel for further guidelines as to warning. In Ezekiel 3.18, Son of man, I made you a watchman for the family of Israel. Whenever you say to me something, whenever you hear me say something, warn them for me. And if I say to the wicked, you're going to die, and you don't sound the alarm of warning to that, it's a matter of life or death. And they will die, and it will, be on, it will be your fault. I'm holding you responsible. But if you warn the wicked and they turn right, they go right on sinning anyway, they'll most certainly die for their sin, but you won't die, for you have saved your life. This practice was exemplified by Jesus as he spoke to Judas, who was just not committed to Jesus in the end. It also applies to Peter, On the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he was betrayed by him. Judas would not turn back, but Peter did. Because Peter's identity was vested in Christ and in that relationship. Peter was committed to Jesus, although sorely tested and he failed. He came back as Jesus called him. And he became a model for all of us for repentance and forgiveness. Ezekiel 3.20.21 is the guiding principle. And if the righteous man turn back from living righteously and take up with evil when I step in and put them in a hard place, they'll die. If you haven't warned them, they'll die because of their sins. And none of the right things that they have done will count anything. And I'll hold you responsible. But if you warn these righteous people, not to sin, and they listen to you, 
They'll live because they took the warning. And again, you'll have saved your life. Jesus' warning was enough to save Peter's life. Under the New, Te- under the New Testament in, in the church, it is the church who has received that commission of watchmen. We're, call- we're called to go and tell the world the good news, the gospel. And by so doing, we are warning the lost and the black sudden of the impending danger. Those who repent are saved. Those who refused, their blood is in their hands. As we, the church, be church together, we admonish the lost, the compromised, those who have fallen asleep, to help them to awaken and to rise up and to follow Christ. As watchmen, we're like the shepherds of the flock. Out of love and compassion and commitment, we watch over and admonish and encourage one another along the way. Sometimes that admonishment or warning is a wake-up call. Warning us not to fall asleep while waiting in these last days. Like the virgins who ran out of oil for their lamps so that when the bridegroom came, those with the oil in their lamps went in to be with the bridegroom, and the others had to go out to buy it. But when they returned, they were too late, for the doors of the wedding chamber were closed. So what would encouragement and admonishment look like as we be church together? Imagine all of us lining up with one another in order to run the race of life together. We stand together as those committed to the fullness of being those in Christ and in whom he delights. A light to the world, salt to the earth, aroma of Christ to a dying world. Imagine now how in this environment together we raise families. Together we bridge teens to adulthood. Together we can face sickness, setbacks, and calamities. Together we can mourn and weep and support one another through losses. We can walk through a journey of dryness. We can dance, sing, rejoice, and praise and celebrate as we experience breakthroughs. We can be like iron sharpening iron as one man sharpens another. Together, we can pray and be fully engaged in the life of Christ, in the life and the lives of the community. Together, we can pull down walls and build bridges. We can be church together. And as we be church, we can do together what we cannot do alone. To become the good and beautiful community, we begin by saying, yes, we want to be church with one another. We don't want to just do church. We want to invest ourselves into Christ, his body, and to this body of believers. So in closing, I have a vision. Imagine this. We are all together. We are for one another. We are for everyone in the body. We are for those who are coming. We are for the lost. We are for the saved. Imagine everyone challenged into excellence in Christ, where everyone feels loved, accepted, and encouraged to be all that we can be in Christ as we watch over each other 
constantly engaging, encouraging, and admonishing each other to run the race, to stay the course, to finish well. If that vision rings true for your heart, will you stand where you are? We want to stand together to be church as we be an encouraging and an inspiring community. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we again invite you to come today with your empowering presence. We are your church, and we want to be church together. Holy Spirit, you are a lover of brotherly love. Pour your unifying love over all of us. Break dividing walls. Break every chain. Break lies and deception. Set us free to be church together. Holy Spirit, release your encouragement, anointing, and your empowering presence. And let it flow into each person here this morning as you already began. So continue, Holy Spirit. Will you open your hands and just receive his encouragement, his anointing, his empowering presence? He's here. Just open your hearts and receive a double portion of his encouraging love, the Spirit's life in fullness. As you you freely receive right now, he is preparing you to freely give. I feel the Lord is saying, As you invest yourselves into others, I will invest myself into you in greater measure, in greater power, in greater authority. As you love one another, my love will flow into you, meeting and expanding your capacity to both give and receive my love. Now be released. Don't hold back. Receive, release, Release, receive. So prayer team and leaders, as you feel led, would you please just move around the congregation and pray as the Lord would lead you. If you have encouraging words, if you feel to pray over a person, I just release you now to do so. There are a group of people that are still here today that haven't felt loved and accepted. They felt like they're in a dry season, lonely, isolated, or bound. And this morning, if that's for you, I have good news. The Father says, you are loved in me and you are accepted in me. And you are very special to me and to this body and where I have placed you. You are my delight. Come taste and see the beauty of body unity. And learn through me how to care. If this speaks to you, just feel free to raise your hands and receive. And let the Spirit of God minister to you. Minister healing and wholeness. So if the music team is ready, they can make their way and begin playing the last song. Lord, we declare this morning, we are your church. 
And we need your power in us. And I close with this benediction. Now may you walk in the power of his love as the Lord shines in and through your brokenness, knowing this, that you are broken but holy. Holy but broken. And it's through you the Lord shines the light, his light, and brings hope to the nations. So this service will end as the musicians finish this, their last song. And I thank you for being here with us today. The children will be ready to be picked up from the children's ministry. We hope that this has been a blessed day for you. It certainly has been for us. And I hope that you will return again next week, perhaps, and bring a friend with you. Thank you.